God, we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done so that everyone might know your name. We long for your song to be heard everywhere on earth till your sovereign work is done. We pray this morning for your kingdom to advance. We pray that we would be obedient in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ according to your will. Those who are being saved will be added to the kingdom in increasing measure every day. We ask for the grace this morning to illuminate the passage to our minds for understanding, to inflame our hearts with your Holy Spirit to rejoice in your great salvation. Engage our will in obedient faith this morning that our lives would become a faithful witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Before we begin the message, I want to begin by reading Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. See, the kingdom of God is advancing, and the dominion of Christ's rule and reign increases with every conversion and every act of obedient faith. The vision of Daniel and the revelation of Jesus Christ, what Daniel envisioned was a future time, what Jesus Christ, this is coming to pass, that He is the King of kings. He is the ruler. He is the Son of Man who has come. He is the Son of Man who is coming. And He is the Christ. He is currently the King. And these things are continually coming to pass right as we live. And there's a day and there's an hour when you do not expect it, but the full revelation of Jesus Christ will come and be realized. For your reference this morning, I have a, a, a ton of scriptures that are listed up there. Uh, most of them will be in this morning's message. There will be more than what is in there. And there will be some of those that aren't in there. But uh, these are good references for you. So I'm going to leave that up for a moment so that you can uh, kind of maybe jot them down. Um, and, of course, I'll be addressing those as we go, but um, I've been known to get a little excited, and uh, sometimes in my excitement, I go pretty fast. So uh, this is one way to slow me down a little bit. So if you would, would you turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1? And uh, as you're able, would you uh, please stand as we read the Word of God? the infallible and errant word of God from the book of Revelation. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 this morning. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is 
and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God's Word. You may be seated. As you notice, I read verses 1 through 8, and we did 1 through 3 last week, but I, I wanted to read the fullness of, of the uh, prologue to the book again so that we can fill in the context for our study this morning. The main thrust of our message this morning is going to be uh, verses 4 through 8, and you might, after I get to verse 5, go, man, he is hanging a long time in verse 5. But this is, this is the thrust of the message. It's going to be verses 4 through 8. Uh, one of the things that I was uh, contemplating this morning as I was walking, doing my prayer walk, and uh, early in the morning, the, uh, a, a quote from Stephen Lawson kept coming to my mind again and again and again. I shared it with Jesse a little earlier this morning. Is that a verse, a scripture taken out of context is a pretext for a proof text. A scripture taken out of context is a pretext for a proof text. And often when we think about the book of Revelation, we think of these pretexts that are applied to the scripture to try to give us understanding. And what I'm hoping to do as we go through this study is that is to just say what it says in its context. So there may be some things and some questions that you might have about certain things that you have come to hear or come to understand. But if the text doesn't speak to it, I'm not going to speak to it. Does that make sense? If it's not in that passage, I will not speak to those things that, that you might, uh, questions that you might have. But I am willing to listen to and answer those questions if I can. I will tell you this, that, and Jesse will, will do that as well, and Joe will as, as well, as I know that they have thoroughly studied this uh, text over the last few months, even years. Uh, we have dived into this. They, they will uh, attempt to answer your questions. And hopefully what they will do, and what I will do if you pose a question, is how did you come to that from the particular text that we're talking about? That would be my first, que my first question back to you, which may not answer your question. Because if you didn't pull it from the text that we're talking about, we'll, we'll wait, because that may come up. And if it does come up, then we hopefully will explain that. So I said all of that just uh, to give us kind of a, a setup here. So as we begin to think about this passage, I want us to think about this fact that He is coming. And there's a statement, behold, he is coming with the clouds. God has revealed and is revealing his coming with a message that is sent to us from heaven. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. The Father is revealing to his bondservants, plural, us, the chosen, those that he freed from their sins, those who he loved, and those who he uh, has called to be faithful and, and sensible servants in these last days that we live in. To us, he is revealing not just the events that must soon take place, but he's revealing to us Jesus Christ. As we read this passage, I want us to get this, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Often we think about revelation, we want to think about what it reveals about the days that we're in or the days that are come are to come. Until you get who Jesus is, the days that we live in and the days which are coming make no sense to us. And we fill it in with all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of uh, presuppositions, as it were. So what it is that I want us to get is who is Jesus. Let's get that down first so we know who He is and who it is that is coming. He's revealing to us Jesus Christ. And they should soon take place. And He sent and communicated it by His angel to the bondservant John, who testified to the Word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. The message was communicated to God's servant, the Apostle John. And John, like us, we will see later in chapter 1, receives this message amid a people who reject Christ. John receives this message amid personal suffering and persecution. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the, God, surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. What God is doing, God is revealing. Let's, let's, let's camp on that for a minute. What God is doing, God is revealing. So do you want to know what's going on in the world? Consult the Scriptures to see who Jesus is. To see what God is doing. What God is doing, He is revealing to us. And the full revelation of who He is is the person of Jesus Christ. That's who He's revealing to us. And what he's revealing is that the summation of history, all of history, is culminated in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and his return. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. We have a promise. We have a promise and a warning in this prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. We have a warning and a promise in the last days in which we live. There's a blessing for the one who reads the words of this prophecy privately. There is a blessing for the one who reads the prophecy in the hearing of the assembled people of God. There's a blessing for the one who hears the words read aloud in the assembly. The blessing of hearing is coupled with Heeding. In James chapter 1, in verses 22 through 25, we read, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely, merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. 
For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So, this blessing that comes from hearing, the blessing that comes from reading, is coupled with heeding, doing what it says. Faithfulness to the word preached is proof that you have indeed heard the word as it is. It is the very word of God sent from heaven. It is the words of the Savior. It is the Lord and King of the heaven and earth who has given us this holy word. In Luke 11, 28, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. The warning for all of us in this time, in the time that is near, the prophecies of this book are coming to pass in your hearing. And the full revelation of the Master's coming is in a day and in an hour when you do not expect it. So the time for obedient faithfulness is today. The prophecy begins and ends with a promised blessing for heeding the words that are here in this passage. In chapter 22, listen to verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. You see, the message to the church of Jesus Christ is, Behold, he is coming soon. The time of His revealing is upon us. This morning we'll answer the question of why should we heed the word of this prophecy? Who is it that is being revealed? What does heeding the word of God look like? Our text in verses 4-8 through reads like an epistle. It's a letter written to the churches. And I want us to remember that this is a prophetic work so that the the rules of prophecy need to be understood. As we talked about the rules of prophecy last week, you broke the covenant, you better repent. No repentance, then judgment. Judgment begins in the household of God, but it extends to the whole world. And then, this is is our hope. This is why we say, blessed is the one who, who anticipates the Lord's return, because there's hope beyond judgment. There's a future restoration coming, and it's coming for those who are faithful and sensible servants of God. So let us jump in to verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was, and who is to come, 
the Almighty. This is a message from the Almighty God. John addresses the church universal in this section. The message is general, and it is important for all churches in all places, of all denominational stripes in every century. It is a message to be heeded for every church congregationally. It is a message to be heeded by every member of every congregation. It is a message to be heeded by Spring Hill Church as we are an embassy of this King. It is to be heeded by each one of you as a member of this church as a subject of King Jesus. A message to be heeded. It is a promise to cling to. There's a great future ahead of those who heed the words today. There's a great future for us who heed these words. Who, when He returns, He finds us sensible and faithful servants. So John addresses the seven churches that are in Asia and he says, grace to you and peace. John begins this section with a standard epistolatory greeting of grace and peace. The, proce- the prophecy comes to people whom uh, grace has been extended. The people who live according to grace. I want to define grace for us a little bit because sometimes grace is sloppy. There's a sloppy understanding of grace sometimes in our churches and the sloppy understanding is that you get a free pass to do whatever you want. Right? Just grace me out. I've heard it said. Somebody errors against you, just grace them out. Just grace me out. When I fail and say, would you just grace me out on this one? Well, is that, is that repentance? No. It's not a repentant heart. But grace is, in one definition, I, I want to define it as the heaven-sent, unearned, unmerited personal favor from God. And to another degree, those whom God gives grace, they're given peace with God and peace from God. Grace is also power. Grace is power to do that which the Scripture commands. Grace is not just forgiveness, that's mercy. Grace is unmerited personal favor because He sent His Son for us. But grace is also the power to obey. It is God working through us, through grace, that we might heed the words of this prophecy. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ secures with surety the promise that that, um, Jesus gave to His disciples. In John uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 27. I'm going to turn there. Can remember? There we go. Jesus leaves with us. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He gives us grace. He gives us peace. Behold, He is coming. To the faithful and sensible servant, the Master brings a message of grace and peace. Behold, He is coming. Who is it that is coming with a message of grace and peace? It is from Him who is and who was and who is to come. It is from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Church, you must heed the message as it comes from the one who is. 
We have to understand this fact about who Jesus is, that he is, that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is the ruler now. Jesus is the one who is. The one who is, is the one who was declared as the current reigning king of heaven and earth. The one who was declared worthy. The one who was given the title deed to the earth. Revelation chapter 5, looking at verse 9. And he sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. And you were slain. And purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The one who is, is the one who purchased you. The one who is, is the one who purchased you, man or woman of God. The one who is, is the one who purchased you by his blood. The one who is, is the one who was. The one who is, is one with the Father. The one who was declares that the one who is and the one who is to come is the pre-existing one. He is the co-author and the co-creator God. If you've seen Him, you have seen the Father. If you don't know Him, you don't know God. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. The one who is and who was and who is to come is the full expression of the Father in heaven. He's from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Our message comes from the throne of God. It comes in the fullness of who He is. It comes by virtue of His sinless life, by His atoning death, God having raised Him from the dead. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And Revelation 5, 6, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Behold, he is coming. The coming one is the fulfillment of the prophetic word. The one who is coming is the fulfillment of the prophetic word from Isaiah chapter 41 and in verse 4. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first and the last. I M he. Our message comes from the, from the throne of God, from the fullness of who God is, and from Jesus Christ. The message is from Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. He is our prophet, priest, and king, the one who is being revealed to us, the Father of us all, commanded us. In Matthew 17, 5, he said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. What I want us to see this morning is what we are commanded to be and to do. Jesus Christ is, was, and did. 
what the scriptures command us to be and to do. Jesus Christ is, he was, and he did. He's the faithful witness. Since the birth of the church, it has been commanded to the born-again disciple of Jesus Christ to be a faithful witness to his death and resurrection. The faithful and sensible servant will be found telling the truth of Jesus Christ whenever and wherever God has placed them. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will see power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remote ends of the earth. Jesus proved the always faithful witness, even to the point of death on a cross. That which the word proclaims concerning Jesus Christ is the standard. It is a standard to which the people of God are called. Faithfulness in every circumstance, every trial, every victory, every defeat. Upon eternal reflection, every Christian everywhere ought to have some sense of insufficiency for such a high call. To remain faithful in all circumstances, all trials, all troubles, all victories. To remain faithful. This is the call. This is what Jesus is, what Jesus was, what Jesus did. That which He did, He's called us to be. That which He did, we can do. That's the amazing thing. That's why I think the letter opens with grace and peace to you. That which He called us to do, by grace we can do. By grace we must do. And it is only by the grace of God that we can do it. But we should be confident. We should be confident that all the Scripture calls us to do, because of what Christ did, we can. Because He has left with us His peace and His grace. It is a high call. Such a, a, a time of insufficiency is a good place to be. Remember what, what the Beatitudes say in the, in the beginning. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you come to grips with your insufficiency, that's where you're most useful. When you come to grips with that, that I am poor in spirit, but to me belongs the kingdom of God. The things which God calls me to do, I can do by grace through Jesus Christ, through His power, through the Holy Spirit. I can do all those things that God has called me to. This is where we must rely upon the grace of God. We must have confidence that since grace secured for us salvation, it is grace from God that will give us power in the Holy Spirit to meet the high demand of the call to remain faithful. Our human author, John, the apostle, he lived in the reality of Christ's love through hardship and pain. John remained faithful to Christ in a world of trials and rampant evil opposition. The apostle received his message in hardship. From AD 54 to 96, this is John's lifetime. He lived through the persecution of two Roman Caesars in that time, Nero and Domitian. The prophecy is most likely delivered near the end of John's exile to the island of Patmos, where tradition tells us that he was submerged in a cauldron of hot oil. Throughout John's journey of tribulation, he declares time and time again in the Gospels that he finds his identity in being a disciple whom Jesus loved. Our human author, 
the Apostle John lived in the reality of Christ's love through hardship and pain. John remained faithful to Christ in a world of trials and rampant evil opposition. See, who Christ is defines what sort of person the Son of Man is looking for upon His return. Let's get that. Who Christ is is the type of person He's looking for upon His return. Because when they ask Him questions in the Gospels about the evil that's coming at them and all these things, and He, he concludes it by telling the, asking the disciples a question. When the Son of Man returns, will He find faith? He says, I'm coming quickly and I'm going to make everything right. But the question I have for the disciple of Jesus Christ is when the Son of Man comes, will He find you faithful? Will He find faith? And who is the faithful and sensible servant? As we saw in Matthew 24, He's the one whom the Master finds doing His bidding in a day and an hour when it is least expected. He's the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. He's the faithful witness. He's, he was rewarded with resurrection from the dead. Faithfulness secured victory over death for Jesus Christ. It was His faithfulness that secured victory. Faithfulness secured the victory over death for Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness is resurrection life. That is the fruit of righteousness. Jesus' reward for faithfulness is everlasting life. He is but the first fruit of that faithfulness. And all who are incorporated into the person of Christ will receive that crown, will receive the fruit of righteousness lived by faith in Jesus Christ. That which Jesus Christ is and He was, you and I through grace and by faith are becoming. You might be asking yourself, am I, I am not perfect in this. No, you aren't, and neither am I. But the promise of the Scriptures, I honestly uh, believe them and I, I live them and I pray them, I pray this truth, is that that which Christ is and was, He is making me. I am becoming. The fruitfulness of faithfulness amid trial, amid persecution, marginalization, even our failures. What is the fruit of righteousness hid in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, even through our failures, even through our, our lack of faith? The promise is resurrection life in Him. That through faith, through our failures, returning again to repentance and faith and trusting in Him, our promise is resurrection life in Him. Looking at Romans chapter 6, uh, looking at verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. See, by faith we live the resurrection life now. But we live it in tension, don't we? We live the life that God has promised to us in this tension. This tension that we have eternal life already and not yet. We live in that tension. So what do we do now? Now we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
We work our salvation out through fear and trembling that in the unknown hour and the and, and day, that the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the Son of Man, the Lord and the Master would find us faithful and sensible servants, that He would we would be those who are caught by surprise, taking care of the Master's business. We would be caught by surprise, taking care of the Master's business while we wait for our full redemption, the resurrection from the dead. You know, you think about when you sit, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but you, you leave your home with your, with your family and, and maybe you leave a, a more grown child at home. And you tell them that you're going to be home at such and such a time and such a, such a day. And circumstances happen and you come home early. And you hope to catch them being faithful to what you left them to do. But sometimes you catch them by surprise, right? But what this scripture is talking about to us is that when the Lord comes, if he catches us by surprise, we ought to be those who are faithful, those who are sensible, those who are about his business. Because we don't know the day and we don't know the hour of his return. So Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And listen to this, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That means now. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. I want to turn to Psalm 2, which I added this morning. Yes, Psalm 2. Uh, I couldn't help but think of this. When we think of Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of of the earth. And then we contemplate the days that we live in right now. Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Psalm 2 seems to ask us this question to ponder. Why are the nations in a uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. The rulers of the kings of the earth would love nothing more than to separate us from faithfulness, from being a faithful and sensible servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. They rage against the king, any king but themselves. Jesus, in his witness to the Father, was unlike us, wasn't he? He was without sin. He was the witness who never failed to rightly reflect the character and nature of God, both in word and in deed. When faced with imprisonment, that is, the kings of the earth coming against him, when he was beaten by the kings of the earth beyond recognition, when he was nailed to a cross, his faithfulness never faltered. You might recall last week that we saw, uh, to understand the book of Revelation accurately, we must take the highest view of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must take the very highest view of the death and resurrection of Jesus. As we look at Revelation 5, I want to look again at verses 7 through 9. This is the high view of Jesus Christ as King, Jesus Christ as Lord. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, 
each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see, Jesus, by virtue of his sinless life, his perfect, faithful witness to the truth of God, God having raised him from the dead, he becomes the first fruit of, fruit of righteousness. And he has ascended into heaven. And he has declared the ruler of the kings of the earth. He has declared the deed holder to the entire earth. When did Jesus assume kingship of heaven and earth? Upon his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. When he ascended to heaven and the, and the saints are there crying and praying and saying, you know, who is worthy? That's a big question. They look out upon the whole earth and they, they look at us maybe. Here we are in this room. Who is worthy to take the title deed to the earth? We find none. We find none on earth anywhere. No king, no person in any authority is worthy to take the, the, the title deed to the earth. But Jesus boldly comes and takes it from the hand of God, the Father. He just boldly comes and takes it. He takes the title deed to the earth. And it says, why, did, why was he able to take the title deed to the earth? Because he was found worthy for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. Your worth, his worth, was in his death and his resurrection from the dead. He was declared king. From that point forward, Jesus is king now. Here's the thing. If we won't obey the king now, if we won't obey him now, if we won't live according to faithfulness now, if we won't be a faithful and sensible servant today, what makes you think that upon his return, you will be faithful, that you will be sensible, that you will be one who is counted in him? What makes you think that? I think we've been told that. I think we've been told that in church. Kind of a lie. A, a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card. That all you have to do is make some profession with your mouth, a one-time deal, walk down an aisle, say you believe in Christ, never submit to Him as Lord, and then when He returns, all is going to be forgiven, all is going to be just forgotten, you're going to get graced out. Those who recognize Christ as King today who are faithful and sensible. That is who he's looking for when he returns. Faithful and sensible servants of Christ. Behold, he is coming. And the question is, will he find faith? Will he find you a faithful and sensible servant? Will he find you taking care of the king's business? Are you a subject of the superior kingdom? This message is from him who is who was and is to come. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the faithful witness of God, the firstborn from the dead, He who conquered sin and death, He who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is He who is coming 
To Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. This message is from Him who freed us from our sins. It is from the only sinless one who could even atone for your sin. Who could even make up for your unfaithfulness. His blood shed for you who believe means that you do not belong to yourself. Purchased with His blood. Released from your sins by His blood. In His love, He did that for us. You were purchased. To you, from Him, it is granted grace. Both saving and empowering ability. Grace is saving. And it is the empowering ability to follow Him. It is He who made peace with God for your transgressions. Will you be found faithful when He comes? Will you heed the words of the prophecy contained in this book that is both about Him and from Him? This book is about Him and it's from Him. It's a great reason to heed the words of this book. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, that I I was a Marine and... The Marine Corps motto is Semper Fidelis, which is Latin for always faithful. The best Marine is a Marine that understands the mission. The best Marine is one who obeys the commands of those who are in charge, uh, who are charged with carrying out that mission. Paraphrasing 1 Timothy 4, the good soldier of Jesus Christ trusts that everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received in gratitude. A faithful servant remains faithful when they receive all things in this life as an, with an attitude of gratitude. A thankful heart is a faithful heart. A good servant of Jesus Christ is nourished by the words of faith and by sound doctrine. Godliness or faithfulness is profitable Profitable for all things since it holds the promise of this present life and the life that is to come. It holds the promise of this life and the one that is to come. When you say, behold, he is coming, will he find faith? Will he find us faithful? I know I've beat that to death, but it's on purpose. I want us to know that that what the text of this scripture says to us, not just in this section, but in every section, matters. That it matters for our lives. And that obedience is what it calls us to. It calls us to faithfulness. And it overcomes our failures and our strengths by grace in Jesus Christ and what he's done. When you fail, what is the first thing that that I think we ought to do when we fail, when we mess up? First thing is to pray, to get on your knees, to remember the cross, to remember what's been done for you, to remember that you are freed from your sins. You might go back to them and hold them and try to put them on, but you don't like them anymore, do you? When you mess up, you go back and you're you're in a sin and you know that you're sinning, right? You know that you're just messing up. It doesn't fit right anymore. It just doesn't fit anymore. I've put this on and this is uncomfortable. This is too tight for me. I shouldn't be wearing a shirt this size. This is horrible, right? This is too much for me. I've got to put it off. I was having, I I, I had a dream the other night and I'm 
I'm praying and I'm reflecting upon my own failures for the week and for the day and all those things. And I had this dream that the Lord, the Spirit of God, grabbed me by the arm. And he got underneath my arm and he threw me to the ground. He threw me to the ground. And there I was on the ground. And the words that I heard in this dream was, that is not for you. That is not for you. Get up and sin no more. I woke up freaked out, I got to tell you. Freaked out. And I felt a heaviness at first. And then a lightness. But it made me understand that I I must first get on my knees and pray. And then I must remember that he has freed me from my sin. And that putting on those things, uh, I'm glad that they make me uncomfortable. I'm glad that now they make me uncomfortable, that they don't fit anymore. Further, more than If you think being released from your sin by his blood, knowing that Christ loves you, is that enough? That's enough. That's enough for me. But then he promises more. He promises something right now that's more. He has made us to be a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. The Lamb who was slain is the one worthy of kingship. The King of kings and the Lord of lords shed his blood for his subjects. In the economy of world governments and for military leaders, troops are expected to lay down their lives for the kingdoms that they serve in. Right? Troops lay down their lives for their leaders. In the economy of God, the leader laid down his life for his subjects. The one who is to come laid down his life for those he leads. His death and resurrection made him king. Faithfulness to the king and the kingdom confirms that you've been purchased by his blood and you've been made a kingdom of God. You have been made his subjects. You are priests unto God. Right now, where you sit, the kingdom of God belongs to such who would believe and remain faithful. The kingdom of God recruited you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, I would not have recruited me for such great work. But because he loved us, he freed me from my sins and he made me a kingdom. And then he gave me a priesthood unto God. It recruited you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins and grace was granted to you to believe. Grace incorporated you in that moment that you repented and believed. In that moment, grace incorporated you into another kingdom, other worldly kingdom, the moment that you were converted by faith. In the Gospel of Mark, you know, Jesus' earthly ministry begins with this announcement. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. And as Jesus travels uh, through uh, Mark's gospel and through his earthly, earth, earthly life, you see what happens is that as people repent and believe, the kingdom circle gets expanded. He comes and he's got these two fishermen. They're part of the kingdom. 
He goes out and he preaches the gospel again to more. And now the circle's getting bigger and the circle keeps getting bigger. The increase of his government, there is no end. You see, and he's incorporated you and I into that kingdom by faith because of his grace and his mercy and his love for us. And then, even further than being incorporated into a kingdom, we are priests unto God. Priests unto God. You know what that means for you? That means that you who are but a fallen sinful creature in your own flesh, you've been granted access to the very throne of God as a priest to our God. You are granted access to the very throne of God by the one who is coming, by his shed blood. Your petitions and your prayers, they are heard. Because Christ is the mediator of a greater covenant. Christ is the mediator who, whose death was once and for all, making you priests unto God. Aren't you glad that you don't need an intermediary? You can boldly go before the throne of God. And we sang this song, right? And when you think of this song and you think about the throne of God and you think about the hymn of heaven, holy is the Lord. If you came without mediation, you are undone. You would be like Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. But we who are in Christ can boldly go to the throne of God, to the creator of heaven and earth. We can boldly go and know that our petitions and our prayers are heard. They are heard. Because Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. We are priests unto God. And to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, the message of Revelation is to be heeded. Grace and peace are granted to you who believe and remain faithful. The message is to be heeded as it is from Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God. The message is to be heeded in that it is from the faithful witness of God, the true reflection of God's image in a human being. The message is to be heeded as it is from the one who overcame sin and death. And it is one who has been declared not only our Savior, but He is our Lord, our Master, and our King. The message is to be heeded because He is the King of kings and He is the ruler of all the kings of the earth, which means He has the highest authority. This message is to be heeded the one who will come suddenly loved you, and he laid down his life, freeing you from your sin. The message is to be heeded. Jesus' death has incorporated you into the kingdom. The one who heeds the message confirms that they are indeed a kingdom and priests unto God. See, hearing and doing the word of God comes with this blessing. This blessing of understanding that I am indeed a child of God. How do I know? What's the proof of the truth? The proof of the truth is I heed the word of God. I heed his words. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly, are we? Is that not why we're in community? Is that not why we should be gathered together with our brothers and sisters in the Lord? That we might get encouragement from one another. It's, hey brother, that doesn't fit you anymore. That's love right there, brothers and sisters. When somebody comes up and says, hey, brother, that doesn't fit you anymore. 
You are a kingdom person. You are a priest unto God. This doesn't fit you anymore. That's why we need one another to stir each other up, to push us to love and good works, as Hebrews says. This message is to be heeded. It comes from the highest authority. It comes from the one who loved you. The one who sends it, the one who is to come, has dominion over all the earth and in ever-increasing measure as the day draws near. The message is to be heeded. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. Listen to that in verse 6. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is to Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him belong glory. To Him belong dominion forever and ever. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. Do you want to glorify God with your life? I would say everybody in this room would say, yes, amen, I want to glorify God with my life. What must we do? We must be faithful to the servant the servant Jesus Christ who served the Father. We must be faithful to Him as Master and as Lord, that when He returns, He will find us to be a faithful and sensible servant. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. The time is near. When He comes, will He find faith? Who is the faithful and sensible servant? It is the one who heeds the words of this prophecy. The one who he loves and set free will be found doing his business at any hour and on any day because of the day and the hour we do not know. To whom will he come? Even to those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Every eye will see him. It says, every, even those who pierced him To the first century Jewish community, he will be seen, and they will know that it is he whom they falsely accused. They will know that it is God, a very God, whom they tried and whom they pierced. Behold, he is coming, and he's coming for you, whom he was pierced for, if you believe and repent. Another thing as I think about this passage, even those who pierced him, although I wasn't a first century Jew, I pierced him. My sin struck him. I rejected him. I said, I will not have this man rule over me, just as they did. And yet, he gave me grace to believe. He secured peace with God by his death. Behold, it is he who is coming. He's coming even to us who have rejected him again and again and again. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. When the Son of Man comes, he will bring reward for faithfulness to the faithful. He will bring compensation to us. This is good news. He will bring compensation for the things that are lost the things that we lost, the things that we forsook. The time is near. The day and the hour are upon us. When he comes, there will be a separation. 
When the master comes to the faithful and sensible servant, he will assign them charge over all his possessions, Matthew 24 says. To the faithless, to the pretender, he will assign a place with all the other hypocrites, all of those who have pretended. There will be wailing and there will be sorrow in that place. You who will not heed the words of this prophecy, if you don't heed them, you will wail. You will wail when he comes. You'll be like those who mourn over him. In one sense. This has a double meaning, right? You will mourn over him because you will find this. You have no one to blame but yourself. You have no one to blame but yourself. Because you heard the word of God. You know the truth of the gospel. And if you choose not to heed these words and to remain unfaithful, And he comes to you and he says, get away from me. I never knew you. You will have only yourself to blame and you will weep and you will cry. And there may be those who mourn all that that means for them. A loss of power, a loss of position, a loss of status because the king of kings is in their presence and all that they thought they were, they found they aren't. They will mourn. And then those who do not mourn, it says there will be a gnashing of teeth. And the gnashing of teeth is this, shaking your fist at God and saying, how dare you? How dare you judge me? That's the unrepentant, hard-hearted person, right? If you don't heed the words of this prophecy and live in kingdom faithfulness today, you will not. And you'll find out that you were never part of the kingdom when it comes. This is a sobering thought. I want you to wrestle with this thought. If you refuse today to live in kingdom faithfulness, if you refuse to heed the words of this prophecy, when the king comes, you will discover that you are not and never were part of the kingdom. I don't want that to be said of any of you. I don't want that to be said of any of my neighbors or my family members. Because when he comes, if we heed not the words of the scripture, we will have been found to have rejected God himself. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. The message of Jesus Christ comes from the one whom when he is seen, he is God of very God. He is God of very God. I want to look at Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, And understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I even, I am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. You must heed the words of this prophecy if you want to participate in its blessings. See, this is the very word of God. 